Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as our guest speaker delivers this week's message. So today is a little bit of a bittersweet day. Um, We don't have anybody, pastor's not here, which take that for what it is, but we get an awesome message from Pastor Greg Wendell. And by bittersweet, I mean this is his last um, Sunday with us before he, that him and his family go back to Kenya. So that's kind of the uh, bittersweet part is that we get to hear him and he's leaving, but also that it's awesome and amazing that he gets to go forward and um, go back to Kenya where, that's, um, where God has him and his family and his heart um, to do his work, to do God's work there. So this time I'm just going to pass it over. Turn it over to Pastor Greg Wendell. I'm good? Okay, I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, I was uh, saved here, baptized here. Michelle and I were both saved here, baptized here, married here, and uh, sent off to be missionaries from here. This is our home church. You don't get to see us uh, as much as other people, because we're usually gone for four years at a time. Uh, but this is my home church, and it's my privilege to stand in my pastor's pulpit and preach, which, by the way, uh, I'm so glad that we have Steve Switzer as our pastor because of the way that he preaches, uh, his reverence for the Bible, and, and uh, going book, chapter, and verse, and in most cases, uh, just preaching an expository message, been going through the book of Romans, uh, which which I've done that for the folks in Kenya, so I appreciate that Pastor Steve is doing that here. And so, uh, yeah, it is bittersweet. Uh, leaving, I hate to leave. Uh, it's been fun to come and enjoy the services with you guys, but, uh, but at the same time, I'm ready to get back to Kenya and, and get back to work. Uh, Peter uh, wrote this letter to believers in, a, in five provinces because they were suffering in their faith. And uh, he wrote this letter to them to, to strengthen them and encourage them to stick to the stuff. And uh, I see now that I've, I've been here enough to preach three messages, and so I'm going to continue on. Uh, knowing that this is uh, December the 30th, so this should be something like a New Year's Day message. 
And God knows what he's doing, and so I think what's coming in the next passage in Peter goes very nicely with New Year's. But I want to start with verse 1, in case you haven't been with me uh, through this, and just uh, rehearse this. First uh, Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Gal- Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit and unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied and may that go to you as well. May God's grace and peace be multiplied to you this morning and throughout the year. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, various temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified before the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you, by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, or therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for giving Uh, this word to Peter so that he could write it down and encourage the folks in these five provinces and even now today encourage us with these same truths of your great salvation and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and, and, and in getting to see you in the future because of what Christ has done for us. Please bless these folks today. Help me with your word. Help Help their hearts, open their hearts and their ears to receive your word, that hearts would be changed, minds would be changed, and that we would look uh, to this coming new year with great hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, when, you, when you study the word of God, there's, there's different kinds of passages. You go through the Psalms and it's, it's poetry. Uh, you, you go through the Proverbs and it's wisdom literature, but these letters to uh, churches and to believers tend to go through some cycles. 
uh, they may point out a problem and then give a solution, uh, give some teaching, and then there's always a part where after some teaching, this is what you're supposed to do with it, okay? It doesn't do a whole lot of good to teach you a bunch of stuff, uh, and, then, and then you don't do anything with it. Uh, and so when you get to verse 13, he says, wherefore, or therefore, depending on the Bible that you're reading. Uh, and, and that means that there's something that he's taught in verses 1 through 12 that you're supposed to do something with. Okay, and as, as you look at verse 2, he says that uh, you, you're saved by the Father. He foreknew you. He elected you. Uh, you're sanctified by the Spirit. And as you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you've been sprinkled by His blood. Uh, that's good news for believers because the Trinity, the, all members of the Trinity have been involved in your salvation and saving you. Then he says that you've been rebirthed uh, to a living hope, a new hope, a hope that you can go with day by day. That's the idea of a living hope. Uh, and so this carries you as you go. Not only that, but uh, you've been birthed to an inheritance that's waiting for you in heaven. And it's God who keeps you in your faith by his power. The power of God keeps you until you get to see heaven. That's incredible. And all this is done so that you can endure uh, miserable times in life. Uh, there's times of mourning, times of pain, times of tears. Uh, but this is all for a purpose. It purifies your faith like fire purifies gold. It's interesting that gold is not as precious to God as it is to us. Your faith is more precious to God than gold. And so uh, just as gold is purified, so your faith is purified. And that all goes for the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ as you pass the test that come in life and you endure and stay faithful to God. And it's this salvation that is so precious and so valuable that God has given us that the prophets testified of in the Old Testament. They talked about what was coming. Uh, in this salvation, it was not just for the Jews, but for the rest of the world, us, we Gentiles. Uh, and not only that, uh, but this word that was written that talks about this is a blessing to us. The, the prophets didn't really understand the full extent of what they were writing about. But when we look at it, we say, oh, yes, I get it, because this is what it all means. We, we get what they, what they were missing because we've seen it. We're experiencing it. And in fact, it's the kind of salvation that angels uh, want to look into. The word is to stoop down, to bend over, and to look into these things. These angels want to look into the salvation that you have. Now, seeing that God has given us such a great salvation, that in that salvation we have a hope, which is a faith directed towards the future, we have a great thing to hope in, is Jesus Christ and what he's going to do for us in the future. Well, what should we do with that? Well, he begins in verse 13. He says, therefore, and in the, in the King James, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, I'm not, what, uh, with minds alert and fully sober. Uh, that's okay, uh, because that's really the, the interpretation of it. The, uh, but but the, the, the word in the Greek actually means to gird up the loins. Now, 
what that means is, back in that culture, uh, people used to wear robes. Okay, if you ever watch a Jesus film, you see Jesus wearing a robe that goes all the way down to his ankles. Uh, and if they're going to do something, uh, work or walk a great distance, then what they would do is they'd take their robes and tuck them up in their belt, which would give their legs some space to work. Okay, uh, you look at First Kings and, and Elijah runs ahead of Ahab, King Ahab, who's in a chariot with horses, and uh, Elijah runs ahead of the horses in that story. It's, it's, a, it's a miracle. It's amazing. But he tucks his, his robes up into his belt, and he takes off running. Uh, if you go back to Exodus and you read about the first Passover, uh, people that were eating the Passover, the Jews... Uh, we're supposed to have a staff in hand. They're supposed to wear their, their, their sandals, but they're also supposed to have a girdle, a belt, and then they're supposed to take their robes and tuck them up in their belt. Why? Because God knew that as soon as Pharaoh's firstborn son died, he was going to kick them out of Egypt, and they, they needed to be ready to move. And so they had to eat the last, this Passover supper uh, with the mentality that, you know, once we're done, we may be getting... On the, on the highway pretty quick here. And so uh, the idea is, and of course we don't wear robes normally today, and so it's hard to get the idea of, of what it means in, in the New Testament lifestyle, what it, you know, girding up your loins. But maybe for you, if you're uh, ready to do some hard work and you've got some long sleeves, you might roll up your sleeves. Okay? That's the idea. Or in the summertime, if you uh, were determined to walk from here uh, to Edinburgh or to Stonington, you probably wouldn't want to wear uh, long pants. You'd probably want to put on some shorts, you know, so that uh, it wouldn't be quite so hot while you're walking. Same mentality, same idea, is, is getting ready for action, getting ready for work, okay? Uh, now, you got that picture. If you got that picture, you got what Peter is, is telling us here is gird up, uh, the loins of your mind. Well, how do you get your mind ready for work? Well, it's about thinking, okay? It's about uh, not being distracted by all different kinds of things in life, but thinking on, the, on godly things. Set your mind on these things in, in the Word of God. And so we're supposed to be mindful of the salvation that God has given us, the hope that He's giving us, and, and, and looking forward to the day that we get to see him face to face and our salvation is complete. That's our mindset for now, looking ahead in how we're supposed to live our lives, preparing our minds to do what God wants us to do. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, and this, then the next part, which really goes with New Year's, is we're supposed to be sober. <laughs> uh, I was watching a program last night and they were saying that uh, during holidays, during New Year's, people drink twice as much. And uh, I suppose that's probably true. Maybe they know what they're talking about. But, uh, but the thing about drinking is uh, that when you drink a lot, when you get drunk, uh, you lose your inhibitions, okay? Uh, I, I'm not going to ask you if you're, you're planning on drinking. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Uh, but the thing is that when somebody gets drunk... Uh, they, they do foolish things. They do things that uh, might be embarrassing to them when they're sober. When I was about 19, 20 years old, I used to drink a lot. 
And I used to make a fool of myself. And then I'd have my friends come to me afterwards and say, did you know you did this or that you said that? And I said, no, I didn't realize I did that. And it was embarrassing. Uh, And I caused a lot of trouble and I did a lot of foolish things in being drunk. That Look, when you're sober, you don't do those kinds of things. But when when you're drunk or, or, you know, intoxicated by whatever kind of drugs today, everybody wants to be medicated, uh, you do things that you wouldn't normally do, okay? And maybe if you have friends like that, uh, then, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, well, to be sober-minded is, is to not be like that, but to have a mindset that you're in uh, some rel- relative control of your thoughts and thinking, you know, what God wants you to think in a, in a sound way, in a, uh, what do you say, a mature way. Uh, so we're supposed to have our minds ready for action and not distracted with foolishness, but thinking about these godly things. And in verse 13, he says that we're supposed to gird up the loins of our mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we're supposed to be ready for action, think clearly, and, be, and, and hope for the coming of Jesus Christ, hope for this grace that's coming with Jesus Christ. And so what is this grace that will come with Jesus Christ? I think Peter has already mentioned it a little bit. Uh, in verse 5, he talks about uh, believers who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, he's not just talking about salvation of the soul. He's talking about salvation of the body, soul, and spirit. Uh, will be made what God wants us to be when we see him face to face. That's going to be grace when we see God face to face. Verse 7, it says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. If we're faithful to God, uh, we're doing and thinking what God wants us to think and being sober in our approach to God and having our hope, the grace that we're going to receive in the end will be praise, honor, and glory. Uh, it's kind of awkward when we think that uh, praise, honor, and glory might go to us. But here's the thing. Uh, when, you know, you that are parents, uh, when, when your children are praised, honored, or receive a certain amount of glory, you receive a certain amount of glory, don't you? You, you, know, you feel like, wow, my child, my offspring here has accomplished something. And for me, I've got four daughters, and, and uh, I like when they do something good. Uh, and when they do, I feel glad, I feel blessed, because they're receiving some certain amount of honor or recognition. Well, when we do what's right, and we pass these tests that we go through in life, we get through the tears and the misery, and we still have faith in Christ, and our hope is in Him, when we get to see Him face to face, and maybe he says, well done, now good and faithful servant. 
uh, then, then because you receive a certain amount of honor, that reflects on Christ himself and even the Father. Does that, does that make sense? There's enough to go around. <laughs> and so when the children of God receive blessing, honor, and praise, glory, honor, and praise, so does God, so does Christ, so does the Father. Okay? And so when we see Christ, we're hoping for that grace that when we see him, he'll be blessed and will be blessed uh, with glory, honor, and praise uh, when we see him face to face, when he's revealed. It's interesting, it doesn't really have any, uh, much to do with uh, uh, the message, but those, that last phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ in Greek, that's the same phrase that begins the revelation, the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, same exact words. Uh, and so this is what we're waiting for, is the revealing of Christ. Uh, if it's the rapture, where when you know, the trump of God will sound with a great mighty shout from heaven, we'll be caught up in the air to meet Christ in the clouds, as Paul teaches in 1 Thessalonians. We'll see him face to face. He will be revealed to us. Peter said uh, earlier that we love Christ whom we've not seen. And we, we love him who we've not, you know, met face to face. But there's coming a day when we will. And that will be exciting. That will be a great blessing for us. Amen. <laughs> Verse 14. Uh, also, carrying on, we're supposed to be as obedient children, not fashioning ourselves, yourselves, according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Now, one thing I can appreciate in raising four daughters is obedience. Uh, one thing that is really a fight is whenever you say, I want it this way, and they say, no, I want to do the opposite thing, and, and so then the battle is on. Uh, but one thing that's really nice with kids is if they, if they just do what they're supposed to do. You go in, you think, I'm going to have to tell them to clean their room, and it's already clean. Wow, nice, what a blessing, you know. Uh, do your homework. Oh, it's already done. Wow, what a blessing. You've already done what you're supposed to do. Obedient children are a blessing. And as parents, you know, we look uh, down at our children and think, man, it'd be good if they obeyed every once in a while. Uh, but then maybe God looks down at us and thinks, you know, I'm a child of God. You're a child of God and thinks, man, it'd be good if they obeyed every once in a while. You know, when you obey, it's a blessing to your father in heaven. When you act like Jesus, it glorifies the Father. It's a blessing to Him when we're obedient to God. And so uh, when you get saved, and, and we sang a few songs that, that uh, talked about this, that we're adopted as the, the children of God when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, it gives us uh, not just uh, a new... Um, uh, picture of ourselves in life, it also gives us some responsibility to God. We're supposed to be obedient to Him. And so, as obedient children to God, that's the positive side, not, here's the negative side, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. I think that's uh, an interesting way to look at that. Before, you know, so, any, anybody here was saved, you know, after you're 20 years old? Yeah, a few. And so you could probably look, and some of you guys are just a little over 20 years old. 
Uh, so you can look back and you can think, man, I remember what I was like before I met Christ. Uh, some, you know, I've heard testimonies of some that were saved when they're six years old, seven years old, and so uh, it's probably hard to imagine what kind of sins they committed as a five-year-old rebellious, you know, painting the town red. Uh, but, uh, you know, but, but I was saved when I was 13, and it's hard for me to look back. Well, 12, 1 through 12, 1 through 13, what, what kind of things? I mean, I was disre- disrespectful to my parents, and I did, uh, I cheated, I stole, I lied. You know, I did all kinds of things, but I learned some new sins after I got saved. Uh, <laughs> When we, when, we, when we look back to our sinful lives before we got saved, uh, we're, we're supposed to stay away from that, okay? We're supposed to be obedient, not disobedient children, all right? That's easy. Uh, well, it's easy to say. It's a little more difficult to do. Uh, but, but I like the way that Peter talks about this. He says, uh, in in uh, our former lusts, the desires, the strong desires in our heart, in our ignorance, in your ignorance, and so the the contrast is is that when you're when you're disobeying God, uh, you're acting you're acting ignorantly. And one thing is kind of funny in Kenya, uh, you know, because I teach in in a couple of Bible schools, uh, it's 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 uh, in. in you're going to school to learn, okay? You're trying to overcome your ignorance with knowledge, with education, okay? Does that make sense? And so when you say that, well, okay, here's an idea that you're probably ignorant of, it just means you don't know something, and then as soon as we go over this material, then you won't be ignorant of it anymore. Now, the funny thing that I learned about education, uh, we, Michelle and I, we surrendered uh, to be missionaries, and we went in to talk to, uh, then it was uh, Pastor uh, Herb Hubbard, and said, okay, well, this is what we think that God is wanting to do in our lives, and, and first thing that Pastor Hubbard said is, okay, well, now you need to go to Bible school, and I thought, well, man, I've been listening to you preach for three or four years now. What do I need school for? Let's just get over there and do the thing, uh, but then when I, when I went through four years of Bible college, the more education I got, the more ignorant I felt. <laughs> and so I, by the time I started, to, I was a senior in Bible college, I thought, man, I, you know, I'm not even sure I'm ready to go to the field. And so I was just getting ideas, you know, asking people for, for their perspective, for wisdom. What do I do? Should I go, you know, just get on the way to the field to Kenya or should I go for the master's program? And most of them said, you know, you're already here at school. While you're at school, you may as well get all you can get out of school before you get out of here because it's hard to come back and get back into it. Well, okay, that sounds pretty wise. And so I went on for the master's program. And even in the master's program, seminary, they taught me how ignorant I am. (laughs) It's like the more you learn, the more stupid you feel. I don't know a lot of stuff for some reason. Uh, but one thing I do know, it, one thing I've learned in the path of life is that uh, you don't point out the ignorance of your wife. Uh, it, it, if you say, now, now that was pretty ignorant. She doesn't take it from the point of view of education. She takes it from the point of view that I'm a, uh, an insulting pig. And so, <laughs> got to be careful with your language. But uh, Kenyans, for some reason, they don't like to be called ignorant either. Okay? Now, 
there's a reason for that. None of us likes to be ignorant. We all want to know uh, everything that we, we think we know. Uh, but the thing is, is that when we sin against God, it's not very smart, is it? In fact, I would think that as we sin against God, it's because in that moment, we're not acting like we know everything we should know. And, and here's the thing. In verse 12, he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, where? In your mind, in the way that you think. Okay? And so that's how our head is supposed to be, heading in God's direction, not being ignorant like we used to be. Okay? I thought that was an interesting contrast. So, when you're doing what God wants you to do, it's pretty smart. And when you're doing things that your flesh wants you to do, you're acting ignorant, man. <laughs> so quit it. <laughs> quit it. <laughs> oh, we're supposed to be smart for God. And then finally in verses 15 and 16, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's a lot of holies there. Uh, holiness is uh, kind of like love. How do you define love? It's one of the most difficult words to define. Uh, and then there's holiness. How do you define holiness? Now, I've got a lot of resources that uh, I can look up and see what people say. And usually the, 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 the explanations of holiness is what you don't do. Okay? You don't commit sin, and so then that's part of being holy. Uh, I remember once when I was uh, in college, I had a theology professor uh, teaching about uh, the, the proper theology of God, teaching about God, what the Bible says about God, and gave us an assignment, uh, what is the most important attribute of God? And I thought, well, for me, uh, the most important attribute is love, because he loved me. That's why I'm saved. It's it's his love that reached out to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that I could be saved, so that you could be saved. And so love is pretty important. But when you go to Isaiah in the book of Revelation, there's voices in heaven, there's persons in heaven that cry out to God, Holy, 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 holy. Why? Because God is holy. They don't, there's no passage in the scriptures to say that they cry out, love, love, love. It's holy, holy, holy. God is holy. I like the story on Mount Sinai. Uh, God is uh, talking to the people, and the people are shook, and then they, they talk to Moses and say, look, you know, we're kind of afraid to talk to uh, God, because we're afraid that uh, maybe we'll get burned up or something, you know? <laughs> and so, let's do this. Why doesn't God talk to you, and then you tell us the message from God? And Moses goes to God, and he says, this is what the people would like. They're afraid of your holiness. And so what they would like to do is for you to tell me, and I tell them, and God says, hmm, that's a good idea. <laughs> That's a good idea. Why? Because God is holy, and the problem with the people is they were not. And they were always getting in trouble for not, right? 
Well, and that's where we get in trouble as well. Holiness is, for lack of a better definition, is the the absence of sin. Um, The holiness of God is is, um, compared to light. Uh, Now, you hear all the time in the news that uh, sunlight is... uh, uh, the best uh, cleansing agent, you know, you shine sunlight on wrong things that are done, then justice can be done, things like that. And God is called light. He's compared to light. Um, and light has something to do with the idea of holiness. It is a positive shining of his complete lack of sin. <laughs> uh, it's difficult to, to define. But one thing we know is that because God is completely without sin, He's holy, He expects us to be without sin. He expects us to be holy. And then now begins the struggle in our, in our lives living in this flesh because our flesh desires to do things that God doesn't want us to do. Uh, if you read Romans at the end of Romans chapter 7, Paul is saying uh, something that, Sounds like double talk or, or strange talk. He says, I do that which I would not, and that which I would, I, I do not. And, and he's talking about what his spirit wants him to do. His spirit wants him to, to obey God, but his flesh wants to disobey God. And at the end of the chapter, he cries out, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> and the answer is in chapter 8. We're supposed to because we've been given, we've been armed, we've been equipped with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to obey the Spirit, not try to live according to our flesh. And the, the Holy Spirit leads us in the ways of life, and the flesh leads us in the ways of death. Uh, I think Peter is quoting from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus uh, is probably uh, one of the most boring books in the Bible. Uh, they say it's the graveyard of those who determine to read through the Bible in a year they read through Genesis and Exodus, and then they get to Leviticus, and then they go, man, I'm tired. <laughs> uh, but the main idea in Leviticus is holiness. It's not just law. It's holiness. Uh, and, unfortunately, you can't legislate holiness with people because people break law. Uh, and that's kind of the history of mankind. But Peter is talking about this, and he's not talking about this. We, we should be holy because it's a law. We should be holy because that's the character of our saving Father in heaven. He rebirthed us to a new life. He gave us a living hope. He rebirthed us to a, a living hope. But he also birthed us to be holy people. We've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ to make us clean and acceptable to the Father. And so until we see Him face to face, we're supposed to try to live holy lives. Why? Because our Father in heaven is holy. I'm not much into making uh, New Year's resolutions, uh, but I think there's one here. Maybe in 2019 we should strive to be more holy, a holy people. Now, I don't know your lives. You know uh, what's going on in your life, and you might be able to put your finger on a few things that need to be cleaned up. That's your business. It's not mine. Uh, 
but if, if you see that, you see, see things that you could make better in your life to be a holier person for God, gird up your mind. Be ready for action to do the things that are right. Be sober in your thinking. Yes, I know that this is the right thing to do, and so I'm determined to do it. I see clearly what God wants from me. And he wants me to be a holier person. He wants you to be a holier person because that's the kind of God that he is. Uh, I'd like for you to uh, bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to, if I could have the lights on, I'd like to be able to see uh, and just ask you a question. I, I would assume, you know, December the 30th, probably everybody here is a member of the church and you already know Jesus Christ as your Savior, but I don't want to pass up an opportunity. Is there anybody here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because you have to know Christ as your Savior. That's the beginning of being holy for God. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you haven't begun to be holy. Uh, not just that, but it's also... Uh, this salvation that God gives us, that gives us a hope of being in heaven with Him. Without Christ, you don't have that hope. Anybody here that doesn't know Christ as your Savior, not going to embarrass you and ask you to do anything, Just except just lift your hand, I would like to pray for you. Anybody here that doesn't know Christ as your Savior, I'd like to just say a prayer for you. Nothing intimidating, just like to pray for you. Just lift your hand and say, please pray for me. I don't know Christ as my Savior. Please pray for me. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, nobody. That's, I suppose, good news. I hope you're all saved. And, uh, on this path with all the rest of us believers toward heaven. And so I would like to pray for you believers that uh, God would help you in your lives. The Holy Spirit would help you uh, not just to see um, problem areas, but also to help you uh, to overcome that and have a victorious life and a holy life. Our Heavenly Father, We thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you teach us because in many ways we are ignorant. Uh, And many, uh, too many times uh, through 2018, we probably uh, acted pretty ignorant in our sins. So we ask for your help, the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, the teaching of your spirit, helping us with your word. Uh, help us with our willpower that we would want to do what you want us to do that we would desire to be a holy people a holy person for you pleasing to you looking forward to the day with hope that when we see you face to face that there would be an amazing amount of grace glory, honor praise and rejoicing in being in heaven with you.
Lord, we look forward to that day with this salvation and this great hope that you've given us.